This is the Build Wealth Canada show, episode number 26. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell, and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada show. So I've been getting a ton of requests for an episode that talks about dividend investing in Canada. So a big thanks goes out to all the listeners who reached out and made the request by either leaving a review on iTunes or signing up to the free Build Wealth Canada newsletter and asking me in the comments section there after signing up. So based on all your requests, today I'm excited to have Ryan Modesto on the show, who is the dividend expert and managing partner over at 5i Research. And if you recognize the name, it might be because you saw him on TV over on the Business News Network, so BNN, or you might have read one of his many articles or analysis as Ryan literally analyzes Canadian companies every day to find the best ones to invest in, especially if you are a dividend-focused investor. Now, if you're new to dividend investing, then don't worry. We're going to start off at the basics, build a good foundation, and then move our way over to some more advanced questions once we've got a good handle on things. Now, Ryan has also been generous in providing Build Wealth Canada listeners with a special offer where you can get your investing and dividend questions answered by him and learn other dividend investing best practices by getting a free trial membership over at 5i Research. So you can get the special link for the free trial by going to the show notes over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash 26. So just the number 26. All right, now let's get into the show. All right, Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So Ryan, to kick things off, for those Canadians new to this type of investing style, can you explain what dividend investing actually is? Well, I guess you need to kind of take a step back and make sure you understand what a, what a dividend is in itself. So a dividend is a distribution that's paid by a company to the common shareholders. It's af- paid after out of the company's cash flows after net income. And so, so the company that type of company that typically pays a dividend is kind of a more more mature company it's in the uh, mature stage of their lifestyle life cycle and they have more stable and predictable cash flows so the general kind of universe of a dividend company is kind of a safer more established company and i I like dividends because they're essentially paying investor to think long term if you're sitting in the red on a company it gives you justification to hold it just for a bit longer because it's paying dividend checks into your bank account every every month or every quarter. And, and then you're also able to take those cash flows that a company's paying you and reinvest those dividends either into the company that's paying you those distributions or into another company. And this the reinvesting of dividends over the long term is where the, the rubber really hits the road with dividend investing. It's a and I'm sure I'm sure a lot of your viewers and you have talked about this before, but it's it's kind of a similar concept to the compounding of returns or keeping your fees as low as possible because Maybe over a year, it doesn't look like that much, but over 10, 20, 30 years, those amounts really add up. Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of uh, listeners are familiar with compound interest or just kind of the, you know, the, if you've read any of the personal finance books, you know, pretty much everyone, every one of them has a chapter on, you know, the, the, you know, most of them call it the magic of compound interest. Right. And so this is kind of uh, what you're saying. Yeah. It's a comparable thing. If you're taking those dividends and now, you know, instead of spending them on something, you're actually reinvesting them to buy more. And then now that grows. And then now you get even more dividends because you've bought more using dividends and then you just kind of it's just keeps snowballing basically yeah, right for sure there's also actually mm-hmm. and dividends are also tax efficient relative to uh to fixed income as well you kind of get a dividend mm-hmm. tax credit um mm-hmm. so that, that's another kind of bonus with them 
for sure, for sure. Yeah, and I, and I have a question lined up to <laughs> to set you up to uh, to talk about that as well because I know that's a really big, big, uh, big thing as well for sure. Uh, you know, especially specifically for us Canadians, that that's something that you know I, I don't know how prevalent that is in other countries, but I know for sure in Canada we do have some pretty nice uh, incentives from a taxation perspective sure. uh, as well. So so that's great. Um, so when should someone consider doing dividend investing? Is there a particular life stage when it's most appropriate, for example? Yeah, I think there's kind of two schools of thought with this. And, and so the one is that if you're younger, you should be more of a growth-oriented investor, and, and typically a growth company isn't one that's gonna kind of how I was saying that some dividend companies are mature companies. That's not what you usually get in a growth company. They're still kind of finding their footing, growing their market, growing their revenues, things like that. And so the whole idea is that you're younger, you can take on more risk, and um, with that longer time frame, you can allow these uh, higher risk companies to kind of build build on their strategy and execute whatever strategy that you're investing in. Um, so, so you're not going to get that same kind of growth potential to grow your capital in a, in a dividend pair. So with that, there's the the thought that dividends suit a older investor or investor in later stages a bit better. But mm -hmm. the other side is that not everyone can or wants to take the time to find, you know, those higher risk growth companies. Um, sometimes people just want to collect a dividend check. And, um, you, and at the end of the day, you don't really need to be a genius to, to figure out that owning a company like Bell, BCE, or a Royal Bank or Bank of Nova Scotia is a good idea, right? I mean, they've been paying dividends for numerous years. They've been growing the dividends. So it takes a lot of that, that risk and work out of it. So I, I think the answer is it's it's somewhere in the in the middle. Like the older you get, the more div owning dividends makes sense. But I still think dividends should be part of pretty much anyone's portfolio. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think with um, well, like like I I invest in ETFs, right? And so uh, broad market, you know, low fee uh, ETFs. And so when I do that, I mean, right now I'm I'm a younger guy, right? So I go, you know, that's my strategy. But one of the things that, but we have a lot of listeners actually on this show who are actually much older than I am, and they're you know they're maybe sixty or they're maybe you know ten years away from retirement, let's say, you know. And so what I I wonder, you know, and so I get a lot of questions about kind of asset decumulation and, you know, when you kind of reach that level and, you know, you're no longer focused on growth as much, you're now more focused on income, you want that cash flow coming in because now you're, you know, you're retired, right? So what, how common is this strategy of, okay, let's say, you know, you're a dividend investor in the big, or not a dividend, uh, you know, an index investor in the beginning, you're letting your assets grow. And then, you know, you get into that older, you know, you get a bit older, you're getting closer to retirement, I don't know, maybe 10 years out, or, or you just hit retirement. And how common is it to then transition to, for example, be a dividend investor now, because now, you know, your focus, your, your life is different now, you're retired. And so your focus is now shifting to income, as opposed to growth. It's, um, if you're, Jumping from being an index, like a pure passive investor to say owning a basket of 20 or 30 dividend stocks, that's a pretty big jump. So I don't know if mm -hmm. that, that's a, that's a comfort level issue, right? And especially if you're, if you're in retirement, you're going to be more concerned with stability and cash flows. So I think it would be from a psychological point of view, it'd be very hard for someone who has for the last 30 years of their life has been a passive, like yeah, right. type of investor to jump to owning 
you know, a handful of individual dividend payers. There's, I mean, there's merit in the strategy, but I think the minute you have a, say, a 10% downturn in a market and maybe a few of those individual stocks get hit very hard, it could mm-hmm. cause some um, panic reactions uh, and maybe yeah. some, some panic selling. But there are, um, to that point, there's a lot of dividend paying, high dividend ETFs that instead of holding maybe just the, the TSX composite, you could hold a a high yield um, or a high high dividend paying or dividend growth ETF and sort of just okay. just flip your holdings over to that to kind of help add a more steady income and and I mean it makes sense it definitely makes sense to transfer some of your holdings so you have more cash flow visibility in retirement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah, if you have a portfolio, let's say you know you're sixty, your portfolio is a million dollars. You've been doing you know, ETF index and broad market index investing your whole life. And then now it's like, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, you know, sell some of this and put it towards these, you know, select companies. I could see that being very, uh, very stressful. Yeah, There's nothing wrong with it. Like it's, I mean, someone could do it, but it is, it's just a, it's a different approach. Mm-hmm. Um, especially sure. if it's when it's different for something you've been doing for your whole life kind of thing. It'd be gotcha. tough for a lot of investors to do. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. So maybe a more suitable option for them is to consider switching over to more, like you said, sort of dividend paying, more more dividend focused ETFs yeah. that are still kind of you know that still hold you know a lot of companies. So it's still nice and broad. They're still getting that good diversification. They're not just investing in you know ten companies or whatever the case may yeah. be. But that's kind of more the comfort zone since yeah. they've been used to buying ETFs. Okay. And then, yeah. And on top makes- of that, you could always then just kind of pepper in. Um, higher dividend paying stocks that you're interested in, right? That right. Oh, that makes sense. And then, yeah. and then that kind of helps um, elevate your your cash flows a bit more while you're while not really taking on a whole lot more risk because you're holding the, you know, those diversified baskets through the the index funds. Gotcha. I gotcha. So, so yeah, so instead of sort of talking about an extreme example, which is I guess what I propose <laughs> where you just move everything. Like so you wouldn't do that. You would just do um, yeah, you, like you said, you just take a, a section of it, uh, a piece of your portfolio yeah. and say, okay, I'm going to keep these in, uh, in ETFs. And then this, this other one, okay, let's, let's focus on maybe you'd still want a diversified portfolio of in of dividend paying stocks, but you know, you're not kind of putting, you're, you're still kind of sticking, your core is still what you're used to and comfortable with. You're just venturing out a little bit yeah. just to get that extra bit of income uh, that you need now in retirement. That, that makes sense. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, I was always curious about that, that whole kind of transition, you know, from the one, from being sort of a, a growth-focused uh, investor when, you know, when you're younger versus being a more, okay, you know, now we actually need the cash. Yeah, <laughs> what, a, do we, what do we do, right? It's a big question. And it should be a transition kind of thing, right? So when, mm-hmm. once you're within, um, say, three years, maybe in five years to retirement, you slowly start kind of transferring a, a portion or a percentage of your portfolio to maybe a more stable dividend or a fixed income allocation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it doesn't have to be, okay, I turned 60, let's just sell everything by <laughs> this new type of asset right. or new type of strategy. And right. You can ease yourself into it. And then as you're doing that, mm-hmm. you'll also gain a comfort with what kind of risks and volatility you can handle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can see that being a good time, you know, when you're at that stage, especially to, you know, you sit down with a fee-for-service service financial planner, someone that's not incentivized to just sell you high fee mutual funds, yeah. and you actually look at your situation saying, okay, I'm retiring in, 
you know, whatever the case may be, you know, it's, it's actually kind of, it's coming. <laughs> it's no longer 30 years out. Yeah. What should I, you know, what, what's, what's a good, you know, what are some options I should consider based on? Cause I guess at that point it gets a lot more complicated too, because you've got a lot of, you probably have other assets too, yeah. and you know, tax considerations and who, who knows what's going to happen by <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in terms of the government and benefits <laughs> and all that. So, um, yeah, yeah. So fair enough. No, that, that's great. That's great. And is there a type of person that is more suited for this type of investing? So, for example, in terms of the time they're willing to invest in it, or maybe, you know, there's certain people with certain personalities that are maybe better suited for this type of investing than others. Can you maybe comment on that a bit? I think it does, it works for any type of investor, really. Like, um, if you're a passive investor, um, you're, I think you're going to like the like a dividend strategy or some sort of dividend portion in your portfolio because it, it pays you to wait. You know, you can kind of set it and forget it, hold some good companies with um, a good history of operations and just kind of collect those uh, dividend checks. It works on the active side because you can find names that are, say, maybe growing their dividends or are just starting their dividends. Um, and, and the markets have a tougher job of pricing these kind of events in. They, you, you, can, you can kind of pick out dividend growth companies, but you don't necessarily know when they're going to increase that dividend. So, so active investors can find ways to... Um, maybe generate access returns through through dividend investings as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think it suits investors best who don't, who are either impatient or they are very uncomfortable when they're holding a stock that's in the red, like that's losing the money currently because mm-hmm. it just, it pays you to wait. Nobody likes losing money on a stock, but it's, you have to accept that it's going to happen. So if you hold a good stock and it's paying you a dividend, but it's at a losing position, at least you're getting something in the bank account. And I think that can mm-hmm. ease a lot of um, tensions that that investor may feel when they're holding that security. It might just encourage them to think a bit longer term and not do a knee-jerk reaction when there's one mm-hmm. bad quarter in the short term. Right, right. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense because, yeah, for sure, I've definitely talked to people who, you know, they kind of, try the stock, stock picking approach themselves. I'm, I'm sure you've talked to a ton of yeah. people like that too. And, you know, and, and yeah, and the stock's in the red and they're kind of, all right, I'm, I'm out. I'm not going to be doing it anymore. And like you said, just because the company maybe had a bad quarter, I guess it also depends how you made that decision to purchase that stock in the first place. Was it actually like, is the, did you actually do the analysis is, you know, are the fundamentals of the company still very strong? Is it still a good company? And it just had a bad quarter or, or, you know, or something happened in the markets to make it go down. And so there's not really any good reason to sell it. Um, but I could see, you know, when you, like you said, when you see the red, (laughs) you know, there's, I guess there's that automatic human, uh, motive, kind of uh, people just want to maybe drop it, right? Uh, whereas if you have that money coming in, it's it, it makes it. You're like, well, at least I'm getting some income for it while I ride out the storm. Yeah. So it makes it a bit a bit better. Yeah. And, and then that's giving you kind of as we were talking about earlier to it. That's giving you that extra cash flow that you can then reinvest, right? So if you right. still like the stock at a lower price, you can kind of you essentially have the ability to now average down in the stock and purchase it at a lower price. Or that- if you're just not totally comfortable with it and you, maybe there's a better opportunity you're seeing you can just divert those dividends to another interesting mm-hmm. opportunity mm-hmm. yeah that's great yeah so if the fundamentals are so strong but maybe you're a bit you're, you're not as confident anymore for whatever reason mm-hmm. then yeah like you said you buy it you know you maybe purchase another one that you're more interested in 
Or if you think, oh, this is great, it, I, you know, it's a temporary drop, so now it's basically at a discount, exactly. I think. If, if that's your belief, then now you can kind of put that money in and buy more. So it could actually be good news for you depending on how you approach it and on, on your analysis. Sure. So yeah, no, that's, that's great. What are the pros and cons of dividend investing, uh, basically of this investing style versus something like index investing or mutual fund investing or, you know, stock picking, but specifically for growth? Um, and I know you can go on a big giant rant yeah. on mutual fund investing. So if, if you do want to do that, feel feel free. <laughs> I, I think that there's two clear cons with um, dividend investing, and that's just the time it takes to manage a portfolio, and then the constant the concentration risks with uh, with investing in it. So, so say you're holding ten to twenty dividend names, um, you you run a risk of maybe one, two, who knows what's going on. Let's say five five of those companies underperforming the market versus if you're just holding say a passive index or passive ETF. Um, so there's so you're taking on company specific risks if you if you're a just a dividend investor. Um, and you're also taking on kind of a a style concentration risk as well if you're only focusing on on dividend pairs. Because sometimes whether how good or how bad um, the dividend companies are, they go in and out of favor in the general markets. Over the long term Things kind of tend to work out if you're holding the right companies, but um, you can see your you have to be comfortable with how things are going to turn out with the with the stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, so so the pros are kind of just just the opposites of the cons, right? It, it just it depends on the type of person you are. Uh, it can be rewarding personally and financially, and it can be pretty easy to create a portfolio that has a a higher yield than the TSX and and potentially less risk too. Because when you look at the TSX, it holds um, primarily financials and energy companies, right? So you can now kind of tilt a dividend portfolio to other other names that are that are less focused in those two sectors and increase and improve your diversification while potentially having higher yields from companies like the telecommunications space and the utility space. Um, and you can also avoid avoid the fees, right? So you could create a, your, a smaller portfolio of dividend stocks and uh, avoid the, the high mutual fund fees that a lot of times are just closet indexing to the TSX anyways. And right. even on, on the ETF side, you can, I mean, you can argue how much, how worthwhile saving say 0.5% on a fund is, but as we were talking about, any little bit adds up over the long term. So you can kind of, you can almost create a shadow ETF through dividend stocks and um, and just forego all of the fees while getting kind of a similar exposure to um, to what the index is going to be providing you. Mm-hmm. Um, where else do I want to go with this? Uh, so stock picking, I guess. Um, dividend investing really is still is stock picking, right? right. Um, but but there's kind of an interesting point to make here where dividend payers sort of act as a natural filter in investing. So instead of, you know, tearing out the financials, looking through the cash flows, the balance sheet, the income statement, all those kind of things, um, when you own a dividend payer, you know that, or you can be reasonably assured that, hey, they're generating positive cash flows because they're paying a dividend into my bank account. So the cash is, there's cash somewhere and it's coming to me. So there's kind of a natural filter there. And there's also... The fact that most companies that pay a dividend are more mature, stable companies that are 
that are profitable. So, I mean, it's not, there's always, you're always going to get the frauds. You're always going to get companies that don't work out the way you think, but by owning dividend stocks only, you're actually increasing the quality of the investment universe you're looking at. Gotcha. And you mentioned, um, just kind of as an aside, uh, you, you mentioned a little bit about how mutual funds, how you know they charge the fees, but they a lot of them will, are primarily mimicking the index. Can you can you speak to that a little bit? Because yeah. you use the term as well that I think maybe some listeners aren't familiar with. Um, yeah, yeah. So so closet indexing essentially um, is when mutual funds charge you say a two percent, three percent fee. And they're really just holding the funds you would the the companies within a the say the TSX composite. Right. They're they're shadowing the industry the industry weights and they're shadowing the actual uh, stock specific weights within those industries as well. And there's actually a study that was out recently, which I I can't quote where it was from because I can't remember. Um, but I was talking about closet indexing, how it's a really big issue in Canada, and it's. I mean, it, it is tough for the Canadian managers because the Canadian investment universe is, it's smaller, right? So, I mean, the we really are dominated by banks and energy companies. And there's only a certain number of companies that are large enough and liquid enough to support kind of that, that large investor base that would invest in a mutual fund. So, I mean, when you like compare it to like an S&P TSX 60 to the S&P 500, right? Mm-hmm. So, it, it's just, I mean... They're the universe that a lot of Canadian fund managers have to choose from is smaller. And so by default, it right. are a bit tied in the sense that a lot of them are going to end up in uh, be, being closet indexers if they're following some sort of large cap mandate. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, there are things they could do to be a bit more creative or kind of a, take a bit more risk and actually earn the, the fees that they're charging. Um, but yeah, so that's the general idea of closet indexing and it's, it's, I think it's a bigger issue in Canada than you would see it in other countries. Yeah. And I can just see a lot of, uh, Canadians getting frustrated, you know, if they're paying, let's say two and a half percent for a mutual fund and they were sort of sold on the fact that, oh, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna outperform the market that they have these experts working, you know, out of, out of floor, <laughs> you know, in, in Toronto and they're just analyzing the best things and they're going to beat the market for you and all this fun stuff. And then when you actually dig into the details of what they're investing in, it's primarily the index anyway. So you could have actually just bought a low cost ETF of the index yeah. paid like just a ridiculously low fee for that compared to what you're paying as a mutual fund. And basically, you know, you could be getting the exact same performance. So that's just, yeah, I, I like to, I like to throw in these little questions just to at least, because I, I get it. If you've been investing in mutual funds for 20 years, you've kind of have that momentum and you maybe, you know, it's, it's hard to change behavior. It is. So I just like to throw in these questions to, so that if you are, you fit into that, <laughs> you know, someone fits into that, they think, Hmm, you know, maybe, what Ryan and Cornell are saying here is something I should consider. Like maybe I should basically to question what you've been doing. Yeah. If, if, you know, that's all I'm, I'm kind of asking is just, you know, question a little bit because some of these, uh, these things are happening in the industry, but they're just so good at hiding it. And, um, and yeah, it's so, and it's, you know, it's, it's ripping a lot of Canadians off. So anyways, that's my little <laughs> aside. I get, I get a little frustrated at, uh, I don't, I don't like Canadians kind of getting uh, taken to the cleaners because of, now, because of some. Now they do eat, so. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, all right. I'll, I'll I digress. So, moving on. <laughs> one of the um, one of the things that um, that you know, I'm sure you've probably a lot of people kind of have heard of is kind of the idea of being able to live off the dividends, and that's you know oftentimes kind of you know when you talk about dividend investing. That's the part that kind of jumps out as, as, oh, wow, I can just invest and I'm living off the dividends. It's like a passive income stream. It's, it's amazing. And it'd be great if I could just get enough of these dividend paying stocks so that the dividends fully fund my lifestyle and I can just, I don't have to work. You know, it, it's kind of the sort of like, a, a you know, the, <laughs> the Canadian dream, I'll call it, it right? Yeah. Or a modification of one. So, so how, you know, let's maybe talk about that a little bit. How realistic is that? And what actually would be needed for a Canadian to pull something like this off? So, I mean, the answer really depends on what living comfortably is to you. Right. It's like if you need 100K in retirement, then living off of a dividend stream is going to be pretty tough. But if you you think you can live off of, say, say 30,000 in dividend income, and then you add in kind of your, your maybe you get a pension and then your CPP that you could easily, you could easily get to say a 50,000 annual income off of 30,000 dividends alone. Um, and, and I think a lot of households, uh, could, could live a modest retirement, uh, off of 50,000 in total annual sure. income. Um, you know, just assuming, you know, no kids in the house, house paid off, no debt, all that kind of stuff. Um, you, you're not, you're not going to be sipping, um, fine fine wines and scotches and things like that but you're you're gonna be you're gonna have financial independence which is awesome um right so so how do you get there though so right now the uh the tsx yields about a 3.3 percent dividend yield on it um so if you wanted to live off of just investing in the tsx composite and get that 3.3 percent dividend you'd need about a nine hundred ten thousand dollar portfolio to get that 30,000 in dividend income. This is all before taxes. Um, it's just easier to do that way. Uh, but, right. but so it'd be a, a $910,000 portfolio. That's, if you if you are a diligent saver um, and have a, have a decent kind of, have had an okay career in your past, that's probably an achievable, achievable target mm-hmm. to have that size of a portfolio. But you'd, I mean, you'd have to be a diligent saver and we all like to have fun, we all like to spend money. So. Um, but if you're, if you're selective with your portfolio and this is where that dividend specific portfolio can come in, right? I was talking, kind of talking about maybe shifting it away from just your financials and just your energy to some higher yielding sectors. Um, so if you're selective with your portfolio, you can create kind of a large cap portfolio that with relative ease, um, achieves a 4% yield. And if you're willing to just do a bit more work and a bit more research, you can probably, structure a portfolio with an average 4.5% yield with, again, relative ease and not a whole lot of extra risk. Um, so now you're looking at something like a $750,000 to a $650,000 portfolio to generate that $30,000 a year in a dividend income. And I think that that's getting into the, the realm of uh, reasonableness for what an average Canadian can achieve, like a portfolio yeah. size an average Canadian could achieve in retirement. Um, so, so I think that that's kind of what you would be looking at if you were seriously wanting to retire on dividend income. Yeah, that's, that's, it actually, yeah, it really does sound very achievable. I mean, I, I've played quite extensively 
with you know the different retirement calculators that are you know, available to us and uh, and yeah it's uh, that's I think that's really really good news uh, for sure uh, because I mean if your answer was well if you want that it's you know you need three million yeah. right then that's just you know Canadians just gonna say okay well I yeah <laughs> that's just not it's like not gonna happen but um, I mean it, it can for sure right but it's it's more you know if we're if we're talking kind of you know typical uh, you know average Canadian um, you know that's not something that people often think that they can just kind of do without a, you know, easily do and still maintain their lifestyle. So that's, that's really encouraging. Now, yeah, I'm trying to, um, (laughs) I'm trying to make this show a bit more, um, friendly to beginner investors as well. Um, so can you, and so I'm great that, so I like that we're going kind of into this detail. It's fantastic and we should definitely keep doing it. But for somebody that's just starting off and doesn't know, like when you say yield, can you define what you mean by yield? Oh, uh, so yield is just the, the dividend you're getting over, um, what you're, what you're paying. Mm -hmm. So, um, buy a stock, uh, say stocks ten dollars, it pays you a one dollar dividend. You're getting a a ten percent, ten percent yield there. Sounds good. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> I got, I got, I got some questions because I know when you had that inter, I had that interview with Peter a while back, and you know we're we're just we kind of just jumped right into it, right? Yeah. And uh, and so you know I had I had one question from reader saying like. Cornell, this is great. I'm really enjoying the the interview here with Peter. It's it's wonderful. But you know, you guys are talking about the ETFs, and I didn't even know what an ETF is, so I had to pause the episode. I had to go online, do some research, come back, and then now I, I could listen to the rest of the interview. Now that I know what the heck you guys are talking and about, so, so I'm trying to trying to be good. And it is you know. tough, and it, it, that's one of the problems with the financial industry in general. Is like, I mean, we do our best to keep things simple and not use jargon. But I mean, if you read a report or watch TV, it's it's full of jargon that. Sometimes I don't even know what the heck people are talking about kind of thing. So it's, and that's a good reminder because sometimes you just, it's something I deal with and do every day, right? So you kind of just get into the the flow of things. But um, um, yeah, yeah. So I definitely understand what you're saying. But um, so so on the yield, the, a lot of people actually, we get a lot of questions about this. The dividend stays constant or the dividend the company sets stays constant. So it didn't come and say, okay, we are going to pay $1 dividend annually. So that's the dividend you're going to get. But the yield is what changes because it changes on the price of the stock. So if the stock price goes down, your yield has increased because you're getting that same dividend on a lower stock price. Yeah, that's great. Perfect. Yeah, thanks for clearing that yeah. up. Yeah, I've, I definitely want to get make the show access, uh, accessible for the medium and advanced investor, but also kind of for the beginner that's just getting started. Uh, because yeah, like you said, there's a lot of uh, jargon out there. So figure it doesn't hurt to... To, to get some definitions yeah. out of the way maybe as well. But no, that, I think you define that really, really well. I think I think that, that's something everyone can understand. You, you, so, you think there too. Sometimes the, the really simple stuff, you kind of just stop thinking about it, right? So you have to, you have to go back and, and think like, what is that calculation? <laughs> exactly. And I apologize for asking no. you to do math on the spot. <laughs> I know that's always, uh, <laughs> that for I know that's, that, that's, a uh, that's something I, I try not to do to the guests, <laughs> but, um, okay, no, so, so that's great. Um, so next question I had for you is, you know, really what are some of the top mistakes Canadians make when it comes to, you know, being dividend investors, investing for dividends? Um, so, so one of them is, assuming that dividends are safe. Um, mm-hmm. Dividends are not fixed income. Um, they are paid at the discretion of management. So at any any day, any time, 
um, a management team at a company could just say, you know what, I'm not really feeling the dividend anymore. Let's just cancel it. There's mm-hmm. no, there's nothing that is stopping them from doing that. Um, so, so while in general, you can, you can have some assurance that a dividend, that a company will do all it can to maintain a dividend because stocks get punished when they cancel a dividend. Nobody wants to see their, their share prices go down. But when things are bad, usually the dividend will be the first thing to go. So that's kind of um, why it's important to, if you are relying on the cash flows, you really want to make sure that you're investing in kind of um, operationally sound companies that have a history of paying the dividend. Um, Mm. So there's less likelihood of canceling it. But even the big banks in 2008, even they canceled their dividends when they're going through a tough time. They're they're paying them again. They're increasing them again. So it's kind of all is good. But um, even when even the companies you would least expect to do something like, like, like that can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, the second would be investing only in dividend stocks. Uh, dividend stocks are great. They, over the long term, they, they do well. You know, all the things we've been talking about, they, you can reinvest them, you get great compounding returns, and it's, it's nice to get that cash flow in your bank account. But as you're saying, investment styles go in and out of favor. So divers- diversification is key so that you can benefit in the good times and the bad times. Maybe for a year or two, um, people will be more interested in growth stocks. So if you own a bit of growth, your portfolio will be benefiting on the growth side while maybe your dividends are are floundering. But then maybe two years later, the situation reverses. And you kind of and then if you're rebalancing over this period as well, where you say growth has done well, you take some of those gains, invest it into the underperforming dividend stocks, and then that situation reverses, you're kind of you're averaging up your portfolio over that scenario. That, that's getting a bit advanced, but um, just I, I would take it back to dividend stocks are great, but you don't want to be 100% in dividend-only companies because um, that does add concentration risks. Gotcha. Um, and so the other the other big one is just chasing yield. Often, especially you see a lot of them in the Canadian markets. There's you know those nice juicy six percent, ten percent dividend yield type of companies, um, and that looks looks great but more often than not that should be viewed as a red flag um the markets the markets aren't are are very the markets are very smart they can price a lot of securities well a lot of the time sometimes there's there's issues sometimes they make a mistake kind of thing but in general and especially with those high yielding dividend stocks they're on to something and they're the markets are trying to tell you that this company's paying you we're it's paying you a 10% dividend because that's the only reason I'm willing to own it is because I need 10% in the income alone, right? So so the markets are afraid that there's going to be a dividend cut or um, there's just maybe they hold a lot of debt and um, they just don't have that financial flexibility to grow anymore. And so again, the dividend is at risk or something else is at risk. So chasing yield is, I think, is one of the, the biggest issues you see amongst dividend stocks, especially with Canadian investors. If there's a high yield, it's usually high for a reason. Uh, so just watch out. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, I was definitely waiting for you to say chasing yield, chasing <laughs> yield, <laughs> because that's such because it's, it's so tempting, right? Especially when you see some of these articles and reports, and you see like, wow, look at the the dividend this thing's uh, throwing out. This is amazing. Why don't I just you know if they're if they're releasing this high, if they're issuing such a high dividend, it must be 
they must be doing great as a company, yeah. right? And so let's let's buy it. And and yeah, but like you said, it's not that necessarily the case. So so I'm glad you you mentioned that just so that because yeah, that temptation is there. And if you don't kind of have that warning yeah. <laughs> as to what's really happening, you can make some pretty big financial mistakes. Sure. So so thanks for saying that. And yeah, and I like how you said you know how it's not it's not a guarantee. <laughs> it's not you know buying a government no. <laughs> bond or something. It's uh, and like you said, I mean, a company can change its strategy. It, it may before maybe it was sustaining now now they're going to be doing some growth some development they're now going to be reinvesting that money into into growing their infrastructure or whatever the case may be as opposed to releasing it as a dividend and and you can't really control that as a shareholder unless <laughs> unless you own a lot of that company yeah. so that's good um, so at 5i uh, one of the things i noticed you guys do is that you guys have sections of the site that are dedicated specifically for dividend investors. And I noticed that in there, you recommend primarily Canadian companies. Uh, and we already talked a little bit about that preferential tax treatment of dividends. So I, I, you know, I imagine that's one of the reasons that you guys focus, you know, a lot on Canadian companies when it comes to dividends. Is that the reason? Are there other reasons that you do it as well? We do it for a lot of the reasons we we've kind of talked about just throughout um, this conversation we've been having. So, so the one is that it's easier to hold a company over the long term if it's paying you a dividend, right? And so, so every every company we're looking at, we're thinking a three to five year holding period because we're we're really we're thinking longer ter- longer term. We're, we don't really care about the next quarter. They can they can as long as I mean their their target market has di- hasn't disappeared, kind of thing. We're okay with a, a quarterly miss. So so when you have those kind of shorter term issues, a dividend really helps an investor kind of hold on to it and um, and be happy that, hey, at least I'm getting getting a dividend check at the end of the day. The quality the quality side of it is another thing where a lot of times dividend payers, they, they, they have a proven source of cash flow and that's proven out by a history of the dividend. Um, but what will, I mean, not, not all of our, probably we have, we have a growth tilt to the companies we cover. But a lot of those growth companies also, we do like it when they have a dividend, but we're not going to use, we don't rule out a company just because it doesn't pay a dividend. Sometimes, I think sometimes you have a lot of investors that will only own dividend stocks. And by doing that, you do, you limit some interesting investment opportunities out there. Um, and what we what we are really looking for when the on the dividend side with the companies we cover are either companies who have um, initiated their first dividend first dividend ever, because that's a pretty big statement saying, hey, look, we have reached a stage in our in our growth where we know we're going to have X amount of cash flows coming in so we can pay a dividend out to investors, we can reward you, there's, um, you know, there's a good outlook at the company, and we have a stable, more um, stable or maturing business now, so we can afford to pay you a dividend. Um, and then the other one is just dividend growth companies that we're looking for. So uh, a company that is consistently raising that dividend and rewarding you not just with the cash flow to your bank account, but rewarding you with a higher cash flow and potentially a higher share price as that yield increases. Great. And then, so f- for somebody that wants to maybe you know dabble into into dividend investing, w- would you say that would you recommend that they stick to Canadian companies as well, just because? Well, well, one because you guys cover them, and so you actually they have they would have some extra sort of support and analysis mm-hmm. 
to help them with their decision, uh, whether they decide to do it or not. But then two, kind of because of the sort of the tax, the preferential tax treatment in Canada of dividends, is that, um, yeah, can you maybe speak to that? Is that another kind of big consideration if someone wants to maybe invest in a few or maybe try to follow one of the portfolios you guys have for your members, you know, is, is generally sticking with sort of the Canadian companies. Is that good enough or is, uh, you know, as long as you're doing other things as well? Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's sort of, I mean, there, there's a tax, you get into tax issues, right? When you're looking at international companies and dividends, mm, I mean, if you, exactly. you have, if you're going to hold a U.S. dividend payer, You'd probably want to hold it in your RRSP because that's um there's tax treaties where it's recognized and you get get the same tax benefit you would in Canada. But once when you start holding it outside of a RRSP, like an international company, you get into more issues. So most um a Canadian investor would probably want a the big a big chunk of their dividend portfolio to be on the Canadian side. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually offer like we have an income portfolio that, that we offer our members and it has a, that it targets a 4% to a 5% uh, portfolio yield. And so it's a mix of individual equities, like individual stocks. And then we also have some uh, fixed income ETFs and things like that in it. Um, so it's not, I mean, our, our kind of goal with it was we don't think we're going to add a whole lot of value if we're telling you to go out and buy Bell, Royal Bank, CP Rail, all those kind of big dividend stalwarts that everybody knows about, right? So we're we're going we're looking at things that are a bit higher risk, but we're still comfortable with saying the total portfolio should pay you a relatively reliable four percent to five percent yield. Um, mm-hmm. So higher higher dividend yielders then mixed in with some some fixed income holdings to kind of offset some of those risks. Um, and then then on top of that, if people have any questions on, Hey, is this, you know, this 10% yielding stock safe or what's the payout ratio on, on a company? We have a, we have actually have a Q and a service where within about 48 hours, usually within 48 hours, we can have a response to you about any question you might have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And I know with you guys as well, with, uh, to build with Canada listeners specifically, well, I'll talk about that a bit later about how you guys offered the, the free trial yeah. and that even as part of the free trial, they can also ask a question, uh, about this as well. So it's pretty, uh, so I think it's nice of you guys to be able to, uh, be willing to offer that uh, to the listeners so that if someone's not, you know, they're not sure, but they want to ask a question, they, they kind of have that option. So, yeah. um, yeah, no, so, so, so thanks for that. Um, and, and yeah, and speaking of, um, of listeners, we do, I, I did get some questions as well from, from listeners of the show. Um, so the first question that I got here was from Tony and he saw the interview I did with Peter, uh, your, your colleague at Five Eye, um, and he was saying that okay, well, in that interview with Peter, Peter was talking about how you guys like to invest in companies that are are growing their dividend, mm-hmm. uh, and he said okay, well, if, if somebody's researching a company themselves, it sounds like he wants to actually you know just do some of this research, research himself. How can you check if a company is in fact growing its dividend? What, what would how would you go about doing that research? Okay, this is going to get a bit detailed, so. I- because <laughs> um, it's it's not necessarily an easy easy process like it's, it's not difficult but it just takes there's some steps to it kind of thing so you'll have to bear with me here um sure. so if you want to find a dividend grower the first resource you're going to want to use is called cedar.com it's s-e-d-a-r and that's just a um financial statement 
depository where every every public company has to post their financials in. So you can search whatever company you're looking for in at cedar.com. And so you're going to want to pull up the annual financial statements or the interim financial statements and look at the uh, the cash flow statement. And you're going to want to go down to the lower third of the cash flow statement and look for um, an area called cash flows used in financing activities. Um, and so, and then maybe just on a piece of paper or a spreadsheet, record the cash dividends that are paid. It'll say, it'll, there'll be a line item that says cash dividends paid, something like that. Um, so just over whatever period you want to know if it's over just um, a one year period, like over the four quarters, record it if it's over. Usually you, if you want to get a good sense of how much a dividend is growing, you're going to want to look at probably a five year time frame. So you'll probably want to look at the annual financial statements in five years worth of those, um, those dividends. So, so then on that, in that same financial statement, you'll probably want to scroll up one page to a, to a statement called the changes in a statement of changes in equity. And you're going to want to record the shares outstanding for each of those same periods that you've recorded the dividend amount paid. Um, and then what are you going to want to do? You're going to want to divide that dividend by the share. I think, I think at this point, Ryan, he's just going to go and <laughs> ask you guys a question okay. Okay. on your forum. We'll do it for you. Um, but it's almost- that's why I was laughing before I wasn't trying to be rude, but I just, I could just see, uh, at least, you know, people that I've, I've talked to, you know, uh, like, you know, smart people. Right. But, yeah. but still it's like, okay, this is, this is, this is a lot. Yeah. So I, 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 yeah. I do have some small, some quicker tricks. So, so I'll finish okay. those two more steps here. So yeah, yeah, no, please finish. Sorry. Yeah. I just, I didn't want to, <laughs> I just, I thought, yeah, I think most people would be like, all right, I'm Everyone's just going to see what, what Ryan wrote in his like thorough analysis of the company and then decide whether I agree or if I want to yeah, invest or not. That's so that's great. But no, but please continue. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to explain why I was laughing. Cause I think, <laughs> I think uh, some people it, were like, all right. It sounds complicated when you do it kind of. Yeah spoken word or whatever it's not as complicated <laughs> as, it, as it really is you're just pulling numbers from right. financial statements right it's just yeah. knowing what numbers to pull um what to pull so, then, so you're yeah. dividing the dividend by the sh- the outstanding shares in those periods and that gives you the dividends per share um and then you can see then you just calculate the growth of those dividends per share over those years and that's how you can tell if it's growing um mm. other tricks is that some companies may just post their dividends per share on their website. So you can look at it that way, but that's not, not all companies do that. Um, another trick is look at the payout ratio. Um, so the lower the payout ratio is, it's not insurance that it's going to grow, but if it's a low payout, there's at least room for the company to grow it if it wants. Um, and then you can also look at, in a financial a company, usually has something like what's called the target payout ratio. So if you can find a company with a payout ratio below the target payout ratio, there may be some that there's there's a some likelihood that at some point in the close near in the nearer term they will increase that dividend. Mm-hmm. Or you could just ask us the question. We'll we'll do our best to help you with it. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs>
<laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Um, that, that's great. So, a- another question that I received, and, and you've answered this a little bit already, uh, was what are some good resources for somebody that is considering uh, or wants to learn how to do dividend investing? So you already mentioned the one site. Um, and if, if there's others, you know, feel free to let, let the listeners know. And, and I know you guys also offer a lot of help on this uh, to 5 i subscribers. Um, so also you know, at the same time, feel free to talk about some of the resources you guys uh, have available for investors as well. All right. Well, um, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of blogs out there that cover, because um, dividends are really popular in Canada. So there's a lot of blogs out there that are covering kind of maybe their personal dividend strategy, um, living off dividends or, or things like that, kind of their their journey to financial independence, whatever. So so there's a lot of um, those kind of free blog resources. Uh, a lot of them are good. Some of them maybe aren't giving the right information, but they're they're all good for at least giving uh, a viewer insight into different ways you can look at dividend investing or different strategies you could consider. Um, but I just wouldn't take um, anything as gospel that you, that you read there. But definitely, there's very good um, ideas and strategies that, that that a reader or viewer can uh, can read from these. Um, on the on the our side, on the Five I Research side. We have we do formally cover Canadian companies, so we uh, put a three-page report and we try to keep things worded simple, no kind of as we were talking about, no jargon, things like that. So, kind of your everyday investor should be able to pull up a report and get a pretty good idea of what a company is about and what its financial situation is about. Uh, we we offer it's like a in each report we have a thing called a report card. Uh, and it just shows kind of the financial metrics that we think are important are the things to focus in on. And we give a letter grade rating to it. So it's an A, B, C, D, maybe it's an F kind of thing. Um, I was talking about the income portfolio. So that the income portfolio would really um, resonate with kind of the dividend type of audience. But we do have a growth and uh, we just call it balanced equity portfolio. And all of those have some semblance of dividend names in it. And so we have a lot of uh, members who some will follow a portfolio outright. And others will just maybe pick and choose the stocks they like, but it's totally up to them. There's no, you know, we're not, we don't manage money um, uh, or you don't have to buy into the model portfolio itself. It's just sort of take it as you want and, and use it however, however you'd like. And then the, the Q and a service is the, is the final kind of value add for people where, where even, I mean, we get questions ranging from a beginner who's just opening their first brokerage account to you know an advanced investor who is getting into cash flow statements with us and things like that and we'll uh, we do our best to answer and help with any any questions or issues regarding investing awesome no that's great thanks ryan and, and can you tell us a bit more as well about the free trial that you're you're willing to give to below account subscribers uh, as well as you already mentioned kind of the question that they can ask as well for free without having to subscribe or yep. enter any credit card information nothing like that it's just a kind of a freebie you're giving away um, and, and, and at the same time, you know, where can listeners learn more from you as well? Yeah. So the, uh, the offer, it's a, it's one month, uh, free subscription to five I research and you do get a, a, a question credit with that. So you can kind of test out our Q and a system and, and see, um, if that adds value for you or not. And it's full, full access. So we're not really holding anything back. We're, we're pretty confident in, in the service being provided. And we're confident that as long as people give it a chance and try it out, that they'll, they'll come back after that month. So that's, that's why we're happy to, to give that to you and to your viewers. 
And so if you want to learn more, you can just go to 5iresearch.ca. We do have a free blog you can sign up for and follow where you just kind of get get some insights and thoughts on the markets and interesting reading, things like that. And we do, if you have any further questions, we do have an email. You can contact us at info at 5iresearch.ca. All right. That's awesome, Ryan. Thanks. And actually, I just at the same time, I want to make it kind of extra, extra clear that you guys don't actually sell investments. So you're not, you don't, and that's one of the reasons I thought it'd be great for us to, to partner with you guys is just because you, you're conflict free. So you're not trying to sell Canadians some investments and then collect a commission or, or you know, whatever, or some sort of extra fee yeah. from that, that now gets taken off the returns and now the returns are lower because you're, you're taking it. So you guys just, you, you do, well, I should let you explain, but my understanding, I want you got, I know from, from kind of researching you guys very thoroughly is that, you know, you do the research, you do the work, you do the analysis, and then you say, okay, based on our, our findings, which is like decades and decades of investing experience, like Peter has over 30 years of experience, yes. uh, all to like just him, him alone. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not just him. Right. So, and then you guys make a, you know, this is what you guys feel comfortable, uh, kind of recommending what you guys would buy if you were buying, but there's no, no conflict. So I don't, maybe, maybe you can speak about that. You can probably explain it better than me. Yeah. So, so we, we're a conflict-free investment research service. And, and it's funny, when you kind of go through and look at these type of services and things like that, there's a lot of people who say that they're, they're conflict-free. And, to, and I mean, they're not lying that they are, but I think we, like 5i Research is the one company that can truly say we are conflict-free. We, we don't get money for covering any reports. Like we don't have the companies paying us to cover a report. We don't have an asset management group that's, you know, we're not trying to bring all of your assets into our company so we can manage that and get get a fee from there. We're really just, we really just run on the member, the annual membership fee that, that members pay us. And on the no conflict side, we actually, we only formally cover Canadian companies and we own no Canadian, individual Canadian stocks ourselves. So we are investing in the US side just to ensure that you know, if we're saying a stock's good or bad, we don't have some sort of behind the scenes benefit that you may not know about. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that's what I mean when we're truly conflict free is that we, we're just trying to benefit the membership. If we can help out, make our, make our members learn something or make our members um, make a bit more money, then they'll come back to us and they'll be a loyal, loyal member at that point. Awesome. Yeah. And just so I understand, my understanding is that you guys won't actually hold those stocks because if for example let's say you did then there's now a conflict of interest because you could say you could you could theoretically tell people okay well, this is uh you know this is a horrible stock now you shouldn't buy it anymore sell it sell it and then people sell it if enough people did that it could actually impact the stock price and now you guys kind of buy it up you know or or vice versa i suppose right is that the is that yeah. sort of the logic behind behind yeah, that yeah and so what what in theory you could do right is you could build a position ahead of time in a company and then say, right. Hey, this company's great. Go buy it. And then it increases the share price and we, we benefit from that. So, I mean, obviously it's a bit of a gray area for some, I guess, but there's nothing wrong with that necessarily as long as the company you're talking about is still good. Right. But, but there is, there is a conflict there and we avoid that conflict by, by taking the approach that we've taken. Exactly. Right. Cause someone could just say, well, you know, you, you told us to to buy this, but a month before you told us to buy this, you bought half a million dollars worth of stock for that company. Yeah. And now you're telling all your members to buy it. And now the price is going up and then you guys can just sell and then just make a quick buck. So you guys kind of avoid that. Even the 
opportunity for that to happen altogether, you just completely avoid it. You say we we're not holding anything, so it's just fully you're totally kind of impartial, no conflict of interest, that kind of thing. We do, so just, that, that's awesome. Just to be clear, we we do own um, ETFs, like we we have the ability to own okay, yeah. ETFs and mutual funds, things like that. But <laughs> okay, gotcha. Uh, no, that, that that sounds good. Yeah, and if if the Bullcan subscribers, uh, listeners to the show, if you do want to get the the trial, uh, you just go to buildwealthcanada.ca/trial, and, and like what Ryan was saying, you basically get a month. You get to the membership. You get full access. You don't need to enter your credit card or anything like that. You just basically, yeah, you get full access. You can see all the model portfolios there. You can see, you know, how they're rating the different companies. Uh, last night on your website, you were saying it had 28,000 questions already that were, have been asked and, and answered. It's up to 42,000 now. 42,000, yeah. awesome. And it's <laughs> so, searchable, so, searchable yeah. by the, um, like we have a ticker database. You can search the company mm-hmm. and you can get, kind of get all the history of it that you can pull up. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I was on it the other day and I went to like the ETF tag because I, I invest in ETF. So I was, uh, I click on, you know, I clicked to the ad and kind of saw other questions other people were having. Yeah. And so it's kind of nice too, because you get, you get to learn from others questions as well. And it's kind of a no pressure offer as well. Right. Because, you know, you try their free trial, you get full access, you get a free question. So you don't really lose there. Yeah. And, and if you like it, awesome, you can, you know, you can subscribe and, and then you get, I believe it's 24 questions uh, a year, right? If you're an actual paid member yes. and you maintain your access. And if you don't, then, you know, at the very least you learned a lot yep. because you got to ask the question, you got to view the tens and tens of thousands of questions that you had access to. And you kind of get to learn a bit about how, you know, how to analyze uh, stocks as well. So, and you can ask the ETF questions as well, right? So yep. even if you're a broad market, uh, I, I noticed that if, if you're a broad market, the kind of index investor, you can, you can do that as well. Do you have any tip when, when someone asks a question, do you have any sort of tips as to how, how to do it? Cause from, from when I was there, it's, it seems like you should definitely be kind of specific, right? Um, yeah. Because you're not, you're not going to write them like a, you know, like a 30 page yeah, I, <laughs> kind of answer. Right? I think the key is to just to keep the, the scope in mind, right? It's kind right. of a, it's a question and answer. <laughs> it's, think about if you were, at a maybe a conference and there's some speaker you wanted to ask them a quick question, kind of kind of that type of uh, mm. parlay or whatever. So usually we we prefer one question, one answer type of questions versus here's 30 stocks I'm interested in. What do you think of them? Um, of each one, can you give me? A, yeah, yeah. Trying to stay away from the personal portfolio situation. So when people start getting into here's my I'm this old, I here's my tax situation. Right. This and that. And then what do you feel about this stock that gets tougher for us to do? So keep it more as a what do you think of this stock or what is going on with this metric at this company or this ETF, Mm. something like that. Gotcha. Awesome. Yeah, because I know we have quite a few uh, index, you know, ETF investors listening to the show as well. And then the common question I get is, okay, so there's a lot of ETFs now, a lot of stocks out there too. What do I buy? You know, what I'm debating between this one and this one, for example. So you guys can actually go in and say, okay, yep. well, we recommend this one because of this and this reason that this is what we would buy. You know, and then you can decide for yourself whether that's something that you'd like to do or not. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. So comparison yeah. questions work well, like. Even if here's three ones, what do you like best? That's easy for us to do. But if it's if if it's something like I'm an ETF investor, what's the best ETF to own? That's tougher, mm-hmm. right? Because I mean, there isn't necessarily depending on who you are, what you're looking for. There isn't a one simple answer to something like that. So exactly, exactly. 
All right. All right. Awesome, Ryan. Well, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It was fun. All right. Take care. Bye. <laughs> All right. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Ryan. Remember to go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash 26. So just the number 26 for your free gift from 5i Research where you can get the free trial and get more of your dividend and investing questions answered by Ryan himself. All right. So I'll see you over at buildwealthcanada.ca and have a wonderful week. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca. 